I went on eight days of silence <clears throat> and you weren't allowed to have a phone. There was no computer. It was deadly silent itself. It was in the middle of nowhere. It looked like Hogwarts, um, but with monks instead of wizards. And you had this... And almost a relief as soon as you get there. But then this, for me, it was this ultimate fear of, oh gosh, I'm going to die. Come and stay a while amid the British charm that is called my brain. I'm a journalist and pastor in California, but don't hold that against me. I wasn't brainwashed. I chose to leave my atheism on my own accord, consequently after two sips of Kool-Aid. But that's for another time. These opinions are my own, most of the time. The humour was learned of a book I found in a hedge, and the dreamer in me, well, she's here to stay. So, you're very welcome. Friends, Romans, countrymen, welcome to another podcast. I do hope you have been enjoying them so far. Thank you so much for all of your messages and for all of your wonderful um, commentaries, messages, tears. Some of you have been crying because they're so bad. I'm joking. That's a lie. Um, but I did want to actually share um, one particular aspect that I've really been um, reminded of an awful lot of times uh, is silence um, and the power of silence. I actually uh, heard on the radio not too long ago that anyone who does not have three, two to three hours of uh, kind of quiet noise, as in just low time, not high anxiety, not overt extreme noise or huge amounts of hassle, actually suffers 40% more anxiety in their day than people who just take some time out. There might be everything from just turning off the radio in your car to taking a nice walk without music or something that actually just calms the mind, the soul, the frequency in which you function at. I personally went on quite a journey with silence. I felt very uncomfortable with it. So if you are very uncomfortable with silence, this is the podcast for you. <coughs> if you are also uh, carrying a glass of water, I could do with using that too. So if you wouldn't mind coming over and helping me out, that would be great. So my journey with silence was actually, it started about 10 years ago. And um, I was deathly afraid of silence. I didn't feel comfortable with it at all. Um, I would fill in, in my day, as much noise, as much chaos as possible, whether it was from the TV, the radio, um, social media. That is also a noise, believe it or not. It's just potentially more of a silent one. Um, and just busyness. Everything was busy, chaotic, crazy. And I um, kind of thrived off it, if I'm honest with you, but all for the wrong reasons. Uh, there's something about sound and noise that actually suffocates what's really going on. And so if we're not, if we're not comfortable with silence, we have a problem. And there have been times, even in, even in corporate worship on a charismatic movement, I've noticed there's such a tenderness sometimes with the Lord, this beautiful peace, this almost a, a moment of silence and someone wants to scream out in the middle of it. And that's okay. But I'm also questioning, can you actually be affected by the tenderness and the peace of the Lord? And so, I actually went on a journey when I became a pastor at Bethel. I actually started to uh, see if students could shut up for a week. And some of them absolutely hated the idea. 
And um, I therefore that was my reason to absolutely they should be doing a week of silence. And that would mean coming off media, not speaking to anyone, having to pick up on a very different spiritual realm, discerning spirits when you're not using your mouth. Um, it was really quite fascinating to go on a silent um, sort of space out because it actually confronted things that we needed to confront. And lots of people have been messaging me about, can you just talk a little bit about more about processing pain? Well, this was actually one of them for me. It was actually just shutting up, not listening to my own opinions all day, every day, or listening to someone else's opinions. Um, it was actually just making sure that the loudest voice that week was the Lord's and the Lord's alone. And so I had to do grocery shopping before we actually got going on silence. I had to make sure that I was... It all really began when I was um, asked to attend or go on a silent retreat um, by the BBC. Please don't Google it. Don't do it. Don't do it. It's going to damage everything that I might have built up between us. But basically, I I thought I'd, I wanted to take on the challenge. I knew that I was feeling restless I knew that I wasn't able to walk in a sense of stillness and it's actually the thing that I find the most attractive in people today is this sense of stillness and um so I wanted to have some of that and I just didn't know how to obtain it other than putting myself in pretty extreme circumstances which for me included going to a eight-day silent retreat in the middle of North Wales at a place called St Binos it was it was basically led by um, a bunch of Jesuit um, monks and um, uh, Catholics that basically truly believed. And their mantra was this. It was basically silence was the gateway to the soul and the soul was the gateway to God. And so it was basically this opening up of what stillness and allowing the Lord to be louder than anyone else in my life. Um, their opinions, what the media tell you, the almost the oppression sometimes of what culture can bring you actually began to shift and change something in me. And so I, I went on eight days of silence <clears throat> and you went out to have a phone. There was no computer. It was deadly silent itself. It was in the middle of nowhere. It looked like Hogwarts, um, but with monks instead of wizards. And you had this, and almost a relief as soon as you get there. But then this, for me, it was this ultimate fear of, oh gosh, I'm going to die. That's kind of how it felt. And I don't mean to be exaggerating, but I, I, that's exactly how I felt. And then imagine, if you will, a signing up for a documentary series of people to film you the entire time. So they filmed us for a week before we came in to see how manic and busy we were in our normal lives. At that time, I was a TV producer running around and doing all sorts of weird and wonderful things. And, um, and then I went into a this week of silence and then they filmed us a week afterwards just to see how much we changed. Um, and I was labelled at the time being the only religious one out of the five of us that were actually attending this five-day, this eight-day retreat. However, I would say I was definitely saying I was a believer, but I certainly wasn't walking as a Christian. I was still living with my boyfriend at the time. I still had... Um, I still had an awful lot of fear, codependency... A lot of um, a lot of stuff needed to change in me, and a lot of it was based on the fact that I hadn't really dealt with the grief of my father, and I knew that going into this eight day retreat, that stuff was going to start coming up, 
And so that's what I did. I signed up. I was assigned an amazing German nun called Sister Renata. And she actually had a waiting list for people around the world wanting to be mentored by her. And she spoke so softly. Her microphone had to be just turned up so much. And you're now going to ask me, hang on a minute, how could she talk and be on assignment retreat at the same time? Fair point. We were allowed one hour a day with our mentor. So we had one person that would talk to us every day and we would therefore be able to process the things that we were processing in silence. The place itself had mazes and it had a small rock chapel at the very top of the hill. Um, if you are in Wales or ever go there, please go to this place. It's the most sensational, spiritual, prayer-filled environment you might ever see that side of the Atlantic. And people were having crazy encounters in the rock chapel because they pretty much came to the end of themselves and finally allowed the Lord to speak into them. And there were probably about four, mm, three out of the five were having spiritual encounters, not as believers. And I would say the other fourth, I was the fifth one, the other fourth one was probably having spiritual encounters but didn't want to relate it to being the Lord, even though they were in chapel reading scripture and listening to uh, guidance about Jesus. So very interesting. It was a sort of apophatic, um, undesiring, wish to not connect that with God because of everything they believed about religion and God in the first place. And so, um, you know, one of the guys that was doing this with me, he was older than me, um, was a sort of rags to riches story. And there were some very powerful one-liners that he would um, speak to camera. So he also had to speak to camera 15 minutes so that BBC obviously could document what on earth was going on. Otherwise, it's the most boring docu documentary in the world. And just filming people sort of looking into space and maybe a blowing tree, you know, not all that exciting. So they would make us speak for 15 minutes. We had an hour a day to talk to our mentor, then the rest of it was complete silence. Meals were in silence. It's fascinating watching monks eat in silence because they're very used to it. So they don't feel the need to perform or hello, love to see you. Lovely. I like you. I like all this. I like all the habit monk costume you're wearing. Well done. There was none of that. You know, so we didn't realize how much we use words to try and please and um, entertain each other. That it was almost an element of performance on it, just so we could be approved of in the room. It was so interesting to watch. And of course, because they're eating, sometimes they wanted to signal for water or the ketchup, which was a fascinating signal in itself, which was basically them pretending to slit their wrists. That was ketchup, the signal for please pass me the ketchup, which. I nearly spat out my porridge when I said they weren't having ketchup on porridge. That was a metaphor. Anyway, so I go through this 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 surrender, if you will. I my body and my mind decide that we're gonna do this, but my spirit had gone miles ahead and was already terrified of what this silence was gonna do. And so for day one I did everything to avoid it. I actually um remember meeting with the guys there was um two guys I hope they don't tell me off for this there are two guys that were on this there were three girls two guys and the two guys and I had a conversation outside in the dark so that the cameras couldn't record us I'm telling you the behind the scenes stuff now in this documentary and we were basically having this chat about how could we find a bottle of wine and bring it back to the space 
terrible. That's not the, that's not, it was okay to have wine there, but that's not the rule. You're not allowed to leave St. Bino's whilst you're on this eight day silent retreat, but desperate just to try anything, just to try and get us out of this very uncomfortable feeling of not wanting to be in silence because we were so scared of what was going to come up. And so anyway, we sort of decided to start, you know, by I think the after about 24, 48 hours, we all made a decision that, listen, if we're going to do this, we're going to do we're going to have to be all in. We can't be half in, half out. Hope that we can just get some, you know, paint a nice picture of a tree. And then the rest of the time we start talking like that's not actually going to work. Um, and beautifully, one of the guys ended up doing about six hours of talking on the video camera. Um which I found hilarious because well, it was sort of defying the whole point of being silent. So the BBC had actually slipped a letter in halfway through the week saying, OK, listen, can you keep your videos down to 15 minutes? Because we have to have someone transcribe it at this end and it's driving us insane. So um, they were very patient with us and um, especially with me because by day three... I was certainly being silent, but I I was also finding this huge sense of irritation. I was getting very, very frustrated. My car had a flat, and so I actually wanted someone to go and fix it for me or get it mended whilst I was in this silence. My big fear, and I didn't realise this at the time, was I was so nervous that if I didn't have a car to escape straight away, just in case something happened to my mother, I'm the only child in the family. Um, she, did, she didn't remarry after my father died, and I didn't realise just how much I felt like I was responsible for her. So um, it started to bring up all of this sense of insecurity, not being covered, not being fought for by some divine, um, beautiful Jesus that I'd heard of, I'd read about. And at the same time, I was reading a book saying, if you want to walk on water, you're going to have to get out of the boat. It's a great book just about fear and um, becoming fearless. And I hadn't realized just how much silence had made me pretty fearful. It had actually stopped me from uh, facing some of the things I needed to face, um, pray about some of the things that I needed to pray about, contend for some of the things that actually I needed to be honest about. And the noise helped me from being authentic with myself. And so by day four and day five, I broke, I cracked. I had these wild dreams because you're not speaking 60,000 words a day. Uh, you have none of that to process. I pretty much speak about 60,000 words just in... Um, one podcast, but it was quite interesting because when I found myself going into this this journey, I would have these dreams at night that the worst fears were coming up into my dreams. And I woke up with my pillow completely soaked in tears. And the next thing I knew was I basically refused to be filmed and I knew this was going to be a big moment. And of course, the BBC said, you know, oh, you know, well, you can look at the edits and then you can approve how you feel about this. And, of course, that didn't happen. Um, <laughs> so should you ever do a documentary um, whereby other people are filming your real life, um, sign a contract that says you're allowed to watch the edit? Anyway, I mean, the reality was I had nothing to hide, but I just didn't really need to see me have a meltdown on national television. Because this was it. This was the moment that it was all starting to come out. And I um, I cried my eyes out on Sister Renata saying I had the most horrible dream. And um, my dad died in front of me all over again. And so, you know, kind of going on from this grief thing that I was talking about last time, 
oh, a couple of podcasts ago, I actually found myself really confronting finally some of the stuff that I wasn't belly crying over. I was crying about it. I wasn't belly crying. It wasn't really shifting anything. And I wasn't, certainly wasn't getting the Lord to speak into any of it. So I just was staying the same. I wasn't healing on anything. And so I, I literally get into a space where I, um, I cried out. And for the first time, I think since my father had died, I really cried. I really, I gutturally cried it out. And I felt a shift. I, I literally did feel a huge burden be lifted in the sense of all of this stuff, not knowing what to do with it. Oh, I said, oh, I just needed to process some of this stuff. And I just needed to process it where people weren't trying to fix or change me or, or speak into it so quickly. I just needed to do it with the Lord. And so I got so comfortable in the silence and I really liked who I was in the silence. I liked how powerful I was starting to feel. I liked how comfortable I was in my skin. I liked how I wasn't comparing myself to everyone and thinking that I should be somebody else. It actually introduced me to myself. It introduced me to the original version of what I believe the Lord had actually put on my life. And here's the deal, though. It was just the beginning. I had an encounter with the Lord that did certainly shift me. It certainly began the the, the end, really, for my relationship that I was in with the guy that I was living with. And even though it ended amicably at the time, I I knew that it was time to just call the shots on stuff that I was settling for, things that I was trying to make work but weren't working. And and really, I just needed a new life again, just to really start all over again. I don't believe that Christianity separates you from people. In fact, it should make you much better at this, these things. And I think looking at my life now, I think I would have navigated that all so much, so much better anyway. But I do, I do think that it was the beginning of you don't understand the encounters you can have in silence. And I think sometimes even in the charismatic movement of the church, uh, we can be so expressive and so beautifully expressive in our response to who he is. But there are times that we just need to shut up and there are times where we need to let him speak into it. And there are times that we need to be able to be silent with another person. And I would say that this is probably the most impactful part of my journey that I really started to explore and, and engage in the intimacy of who the Lord was in the, in the secret place. And so if you're wanting to get this into your life a little bit more, you can do a little bit of what I did with the students, which was turning off the phone, making sure that you actually um, give everyone else a heads up. You can't just be mute one morning and everyone thinks you lost your voice. Um, make sure that you give everyone a heads up a week beforehand so they know that you're not going to be um, speaking and don't do it to hide. If you're really used to being in isolation and in silence, well, try not to use it as something to hide behind and, and not to be able to engage with people. But if you're the type of person that has a tendency to perform or fill in the space with extra words or noise or you're hugely extroverted and you can't be without someone for more than 20 minutes, then this might be the thing for you. And what I do find so amusing um, is the team that I had this year and they've just all graduated, their number one favourite thing when I was their pastor a year ago in second year, was silence. I didn't realise how impactful silence was on the millennials. And uh, and here's what was beautiful. One of them, Adam, was so good 
at knowing and feeling the reverence in the room of when the presence was so obvious of who God was and who he was in the moment. It was amazing when we did a timed silence. We did it once in Los Angeles and we had people sit for two hours. And in fact, I've got friends today that feel like their lives radically shifted because they sat in a corporate silence for two hours and they finally allowed the Lord to speak into their life. And it's interesting, as soon as the time has stopped, as soon as I've finished the silence, you could sit in that stillness for hours afterwards and still speak, but in a different frequency, a different pace. And it was so interesting how many people just were so quick to come out of it. And Adam sat there almost crying because no one had realized the reverence of what silence was bringing. And so when he got into the car afterwards, he said, what do you do when the whole room doesn't recognize the reverence of the Lord? I said, you recognize the ones that do. And so I recognized you. And so it's not, um, it's not something that's necessary, but I do think in this world where we're becoming so much more obsessed with interaction online and um, digital curtains that we can hide behind, if that makes sense, it's time that we actually open the room up to be silent again and actually allow still stillness and prayer and meditation, things that we're actually able to allow the Lord to talk into because his voice should still be much louder than any of ours. And if we're not giving space or time to do that, and I, I can already hear people going, well, hang on a minute, I'm so busy. You don't understand how busy my life is. Well, that's true. That doesn't mean that your life needs to stop. But I would say my bathroom in, in my home in California Everyone often says there's so much angelic activity in your bathroom. And I say it's because I do most of my silence and my my um, my secret place in the bathroom when I'm in the bath. And I'll have a sand timer. I'm obsessed with sand timers. I've broken tons of them, not on purpose, but just out of sheer use. And um, I turn the timer over and I just allow myself to be still for five minutes. Even if it's a five-minute timer, it's five minutes of my my undivided devotion to him in that moment just to allow him to reset to change to shift any anxiety that I might have woken up in or any anxiety that I might have found throughout the day you know my job's pretty intense and it's pretty stressful so if I don't know how to hear his voice on a situation if I don't know how to sit still in a chaotic situation then I'm not really allowing the Lord to come in and and be the prince of peace in my life and so I would say as well that silence was the key component to actually letting him bring in new ideas to circumstances I've not had a resolve over. What's also interesting is when you do silence in a corporate setting, it's really fascinating to watch how much more comfortable some people were around me. I realized that because I couldn't say anything, um, some of the students actually found me more approachable. Um, they found they were able just to come and hug me and sit next to me. Um, and of course, you've got my, my, the wonderful Bill Johnson, who, um, when I was doing one of these silence weeks, he sat down next to me during worship and smiled, sat down, sat next to me for 15 minutes. And he's a very still, very quiet person. So he doesn't necessarily need to do this stuff like I do. Um, and then at the end of the 15 minutes, he went, well, this was lovely, and then walked off. So there, you will have these wonderful moments where people just relish in the silence with you, and then you'll also have these wonderful moments where um, 
the Lord really wants to encounter you in places that you might want to be in denial over. Silence ensures that you don't get in denial. So I would charge you for a day just to turn off all the phones, take off, pull out the phone. Um, this is very similar to how, I'm, how much I love using the landline telephone for a month. I can't even tell you how glorious it was. Um, it's annoying that everything, your bank, your emails have to be verified by your cell phone these days because if, if it wasn't for that, it'd still probably be on a landline. However... There's something about the stillness that I don't want the next generation to miss out on. And I'm really nervous that if we don't make time for silence because of the fast pace, the efficiency that the digital era has brought on, we're going to miss out on being introduced to ourselves just one more time. And it avoids that comparison. It reminds you of who you are. It makes you stay in your own lane. It... It makes you remind, it reminds you of your dreams, the things that you're supposed to do with your life. It realigns you back to focusing what you're supposed to be doing. It also brings sometimes better decisions. It also makes you more decisive, I would say. Um, Because you hear the Lord better. So silence might come across as very boring, very dull, very, yeah, but I'm not doing anything in this time (laughs) approach. But I just can't tell you just how radically it's changed my life. There's something about silence that just makes you shut up. And it's necessary to shut up and listen to what he's got to tell you. (laughs) And I think even sometimes there are times where people coming to corporate worship and they're wanting to hear stuff from worship and they're wanting to they're wanting the next praise song to give them a glimmer of an insight of something they're wanting the next prophetic word to speak into their life they're wanting the next sermon to say something to them which is all great and all wonderful but if you're not having undivided devotion in silence with the lord then you're missing out on some of the finest gold you you could be departed to that could be imparted to you. This is where revelation comes. This is where the most astonishing encounters can actually take place. And so if you're terrified of silence, if the whole idea feels like nothing but going to the dentist, I strongly advise you to try silence for an hour, for a day, for three days, for seven days. At a time that is kind to the community, not at the worst one. I I remember my boss once saying to me, Carrie, can you not just do silence over the time when you're not being a pastor during the week and just do it at the weekend? And I said, no, I, I have to do it with the students. The whole point is they're learning another part of their discernment in the spiritual realm because they can't talk because other people can't talk to them. They can pick up on spirits that they may not have noticed earlier on. So, (laughs) and he loves just people just get on with their job and do their job, which makes perfect sense. And of course, um, any of you that go to Bethel school, I would be aware that there was a pastor that was pretty much silent for about 18 months. We called him the monk for a reason. But actually, I remember going up to him when he was being silent and I just said, thank you for bringing a different type of fruit to the environment 
because I so long for people to not strive always in what they're doing, but rest in who they hear the Lord claim them to be. And so I felt like it was an introduction. And for me as a pastor as well, I love the fact that I was doing the silence with them. I felt very close to the people that I was doing silence with. And just to end in a really fascinating story, the very retreat that I talked about at the very beginning, it broke off this people-pleasing thing of me. I still have it occasionally. And when I feel it like that, I realize I haven't been into silence for a bit. Um, but I remember, <clears throat> I remember uh, the director of the silent retreat um, I don't know if he's still there now, but he actually went to a silent retreat for eight days and uh, just as a normal, regular attendee. By the way, these retreats can go on for 30 days, which is quite a task. But I, I believe that they have literally had life-changing encounters because of it. If I were to go through any horrific um life scenario I probably the first thing I would probably do is go straight into silence for for eight days and go to a retreat um just to hear the Lord on it before I hear the world's opinion on it you know I highly recommend it if you're going through a divorce or going going through grief or any kind of separation or loss um I I think it's a very brilliant and radical thing to do for the soul but it's interesting because the director of this retreat actually had been on this retreat with other people. This is before he became the director of it. And um, was coming out of the silence on, on day eight and had noticed a woman on the same retreat in the same place. Obviously, they couldn't talk or engage with each other. But it really felt a very strong connection to her. And on the eighth day, as he's coming out of the silence, he asked to speak to her. And literally the first thing he does when he speaks to her is get on one knee and propose to her. And she says, yes. It is the most wildest story I have ever heard of two people getting together. It's one thing only knowing each other for a week. It's another thing having not had any conversation with each other. And they're still married to this day. As far as I'm aware, I say to this day, in the last five years that I know of. And... They were together for a very long time. He was now the director of the silent retreat. And I was just astonished that you can hear so clearly from the Lord when you're silent. And by the sounds of it, they both heard very clearly from the Lord when they were both silent, knowing that each other was essentially, they were supposed to be with each other. Pretty amazing. So that's my that's my token tuppence on silence and... Um, if you're wanting to find a little bit more depth, a little bit more life into your everyday walk with the Lord, if you're wanting to go deeper and encounter him on a way that you haven't before, then I I strongly suggest that you take out some silence and you, perse through, you persevere through the part that actually wants to retract. You persevere through the part that actually doesn't want to face this anymore because that's exactly where you're about to find the most phenomenal strength that you've ever encountered in your life. It's not your own, it's his, but it's so worth it. And it was life-changing for me. So there you go. 
There's also that lovely verse in Exodus 14, 14, which says, you only need to keep silent and the Lord will fight for you. There is something about intentionally being silent in order for the Lord to fight over you, with you, in this with you, without saying a word. Try it. You might like it.